Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the November 19th, 2012 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. It's a podcast devoted to the discussion of news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and cartoonist Bosch Faustin, who often joins me here, is unfortunately unable to today, although I hear that he might be able to call in and chime in on some of the discussion. Uh, but here are the topics that I would like to discuss with you and I kind of made a little alliteration here, taxes, Twinkies, terrorism, and testimony. So first story, taxes. Republican politicians and pundits are preparing for Congress to cave on the issue of raising taxes. And of course, Twinkies, Hostess Brands, is the latest casualty of government interference in the economy. You may have seen the story on my Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook this week. Third, terrorism. Israel acts to defend itself from terrorist attacks from the terrorist group Hamas, while the media misrepresents the nature of the conflict and the UN calls for Israel to show restraint. And fourth, testimony. General David Petraeus resigned, as you know, amid a scandal. And then he went ahead and testified before a House committee and apparently changed his story a bit as to what was behind the attacks on Americans in Benghazi. Uh, are the resignation and the affair and stuff, plus the change in testimony, are these related somehow? This has been discussed this week, so I want to hear what you have to say about that. I invite those of you who are attending live to call in or ask questions in the chat room. The phone number where you can call in and talk to me is 760 888 5817. Again, that's 760 888 8817. And please also participate in the chat room. I see a bunch of people there in the chat room more than ever today because Bosch is not here. Okay. So let's go ahead and get started. First of all, as I said, we have Republicans, pundits, and politicians alike basically laying the groundwork for Congress to compromise on the issue of taxes. Debbie in the chat room says, Republicans are going to cave. I'm shocked. She says, when I heard Boehner say that we were were ready to be led after the election, I thought that meant he was ready to fight. Deborah, unfortunately, it doesn't seem that way at all. So the first story that I have is about Bill Kristol, who is the editor of the Weekly Standard, a popular conservative Republican publication magazine. And he said he is open to compromise, that Republicans should be open to compromise on taxes. Um, he said, And this is a quote from Crystal. He was on Fox News last Sunday. Quote, he says, you know what? It won't kill the country if Republicans raise taxes a little bit on millionaires. It really won't, I don't think. Continuing, he says, I don't really understand why Republicans don't take Obama's offer to freeze taxes for everyone below 250000 Make it 500000 Make it a million. He says, really, the Republican Party is going to fall on its own sword to defend a bunch of millionaires, half of whom voted Democratic and half of whom live in Hollywood and are hostile to Republicans, end quote. This is a conservative an editor of a leading conservative republication, and he says, let's have republication. Yeah, that's that's a good pun. Actually, that would be something that Bosch would come up with. So I don't know, maybe he's kind of here in spirit. But uh, yeah, it's a le- leading conservative publication, and here they are saying, nah, you know, why should you fall on your sword to defend a bunch of millionaires? And hey, they're voting Democratic anyway. So he's basically saying it's all about politics. It's all about who votes for you. It's not about principle at all, and a lot of us, of course, find this uh, incredibly stressful and disappointing given that 
there's so many big decisions to be made about tax increases that are set to take place and, and take effect January 1st. Here's some more about Crystal, um, which was a quote from last year, because Crystal has been doing this for a while. Um, last year, Crystal disagreed, says this article, uh, with the GOP's insistence on lower corporate and business tax rates. And here's a quote from Crystal, quote, Republicans are making a mistake if they focus on big business and corporate tax rates. Corporations have a ton of cash. He says the corporate tax rate is not killing big business in America, end quote. Well, it's not killing them, right? It's not killing them. So, I mean, hey, you know, just increase the rate. Then he says, and during this year's campaign in August, Crystal said that Republicans had not sold voters on the party's position on taxes. Here's another quote from Crystal, this one from this year. It's the tax cuts for the wealthy, where Republicans have not done a particularly good job of defending it, and I think you'll see Democratic attacks focus on that side of the equation, end quote. So Crystal has been criticizing the Republicans on the tax issue. He obviously doesn't think it's a big deal. Hey, you know, just pay a little more. You're wealthy enough. It's not going to kill the corporations, et cetera. And this criticism has prompted a backlash from the Tea Party. What is their backlash? Freedom Works Max Pappas, here's an example of the backlash, branded Crystal as a, quote, big government conservative, end quote, for his views on the tax. Boy, that hurt, right? Just call him a big government conservative. That, that'll work. You know, the, the Tea Party, I don't think themselves has necessarily a principled answer here. I mean, their idea is, well, as long as we lower taxes a little bit or we don't raise them, boy, then we've really won, right? So in, in any event, it says it's uncertain how much party elites like Crystal are going to be able to move the needle within the GOP ranks. Why? Because there is some resistance from the Tea Party. But again, the problem is that the Tea Party's resistance is not principled here. Uh, they say, oh, he's a big government conservative. We all know that the issue is not the size of government. It's not that it's big. It's that government is doing things that are outside of government's proper function. What is government supposed to be doing? The government is supposed to provide police and military to protect our rights from both domestic criminals here and uh, foreign aggressors from abroad. And of course, a court system to adjudicate disputes between individuals and also, of course, to prosecute those criminals. That's what government's supposed to be doing. It's not the size of the government that's the issue. It's the function. And, you know, Crystal here is actually right. The Republicans have not been able to sell voters on the party's position on taxes. Why? Because they don't have any principled position on taxes. The compromise on taxes happened a long, long time ago when we allowed the federal government to institute compulsory taxation, income taxation, in the first place, right? Uh, Ayn Rand and her writings, if you go ahead and, and look at, at some of them, she has ideas about how you could voluntarily fund a government through stamp taxes on contracts. You pay a little percentage of your contract if you want to be able to enforce it in court. So if Walmart makes a contract with one of the distributors of products that Walmart sells and Walmart wants to be able to enforce that contract in a court of law, Walmart says, hey, I'll pay 3% of the value of this contract, the you know purchase price of all the goods that it's buying, say, and then we'll go ahead and get it funded. But instead, what we have now in our country is we have involuntary taxation. Yes, all of this is coming uh, you know, to the government. It's not just revenue that we voluntarily send in. What happens to us if we don't pay our taxes? We go to jail. So the compromise was made long ago. And then they're just, you know, kind of tweaking things here and there and saying, oh, well, let's make a little bit lower rate. Let's make a little bit higher rate. Mitt Romney, what did he promise? He promised a little bit lower rates on our taxes or to not raise them. And, and that was it. So it wasn't like we were getting any big thing. But this is extremely disappointing nonetheless, I mean, because we're obviously in the context where the Republicans are supposed to at least hold the flood off, you know, and, and make it so that we don't go over the so-called fiscal cliff, et cetera. But it's just not happening. Now I've got a caller here and see what you want to say about this topic. Hi, who's this? Hi, Amy. It's Debbie. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Oh, well, pretty good. I uh, I just am 
Well, I'm not surprised at all to, to the way the Republicans caved. I was just kind of rolling my eyes when I heard, like, first thing in the morning, I think it was like 5 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> the day after the election, I was driving to the gym, and I already heard on the radio that Boehner had said that he's willing to compromise, quote-unquote, on tax increases for the rich. And, I mean, it's like he just ran to the nearest microphone as soon as Obama got reelected and said, okay, I give in, you can raise taxes on these people. And, you know, that's just pathetic. And and it also kind of upset me just to think, like, they, they presented it like some kind of horse trading, like, well, I'm willing to give you some of these people's lives in exchange for you not hurting these other groups of people. Like it's our, like, you know, like we're his to dispose of. Right. And, and you know, here's the thing. All he says is, well, as long as tax rates don't go up, then there's other ways, of course, you know, by closing various loopholes or getting rid of certain deductions that they can, in effect, raise a tax rate. But he just wants the veneer of the actual numerical tax rate to not go up so he can say, well, hey, I kept, you know, tax rates from going up. It's such a bunch of phony stuff. And and the thing that's really transparent is when somebody like Crystal says off the cuff, he says, well, look, half of those rich people voted Democratic anyway. They live in Hollywood. They're hostile to Republicans. So what do you care? It, it It's just and, – and, of course, he wasn't the only one this week. Wow. I mean, well, what does that make? I mean, if, if they voted for Obama, that just means that they're okay with having some of their money taken. That doesn't that doesn't just entitle someone to make a sweeping statement that, well, that means that the rich don't have the right to keep what they earn because some of them voted for Obama. I mean, you can't just vote away your rights. If they want to support the government, you know, they can just give it away. But right, right. Either either taxation is correct. Or it's incorrect. And if it's incorrect, if it's the wrong policy in voluntary taxation, then it's wrong for everyone. And it doesn't matter who they voted for. I mean, that's ridiculous. This is the kind of thing that we fear uh, from an Obama administration, right, is that if they know that we're anti-Obama, that the government's going to treat us differently. And here's Crystal on the other side saying, well, hey, they support the Democrats anyway, so what do we care about them? And then what does he, you know, what does he say about the half of them who have supported the Republicans? He says, well, just because half of them didn't, he's going to go ahead and sacrifice them, so it's... It's it's really disgusting. The the other one who did it, uh, Deborah, and I, I don't know if we're having sound issues, but I'm going to go ahead and do the old mute here just to to make sure while I tell you about the other character who did this this week. I was watching the O'Reilly Factor. I normally don't like to watch the O'Reilly Factor because he is so annoying, but. Greg Gutfeld was a guest host on the O'Reilly Factor, and he was good. He was he was good overall. He made too many corny jokes of a certain kind. Uh, in the very beginning, he kept like in every single topic that he introduced, he had some sort of a corny joke into it. But he had good content, and uh, he was talking to actor economist Ben Stein. And Ben Stein was saying exactly the same thing that Bill Crystal was saying. He says, hey, you know, why do we want to go out of our way to protect all these millionaires and billionaires and stuff? And the Republican Party, we just have to compromise on this tax issue. And it's no big deal. It's not going to kill us, you know, if the taxes go up a little bit. And Gutfeld was actually good. He said, first of all, why don't we get the problem at its root? Because what Ben Stein was coming at from the standpoint of, well, you know, we have to reduce the deficit. We have to reduce the debt. We can't keep having this, you know, huge deficit and keep piling on the debt. And we have to reduce it in a balanced way. So he's adopting Obama's language, Ben Stein is. You know, the balanced way is to go ahead and increase quote unquote revenues, right? Your taxes. Gutfeld comes in and he says, this is garbage. He says, what about spending? He says, the real problem is the spending. Why not reduce the spending instead? Uh, Zach in the chat room says, Greg knows his jokes are corny. Yeah, of course he does. Um, Yeah, Gutfeld, I wish Gutfeld has more airtime. He was really good at pointing out that the issue, the root issue with this is spending and that, you know, this idea that you have to have balance, no, Get rid of the out-of-control spending. You don't need to raise anybody t- anybody's taxes at all. And again, everybody knows, right, that if the government gets out of the way of the economy, the economy will recover 
And even though you don't increase your tax rates, you're going to increase the tax revenue because everyone's going to be making more money. Uh, this is, People have known this forever. So this call to increase the taxes on the rich, I mean, the other thing that they know, and I, you know, I... Uh, credit Bill Whittle for this. Bill Whittle had a great video in which he talked about the fact that even if you confiscated all of the wealth, all of the income of a certain top percentage of the earners in this country, even if you took all of it, it wouldn't begin to pay for the out-of-control spending in this government. So it's not like the increase of taxes on the so-called wealthy is even going to be a drop in the bucket in terms of what they need to get rid of this deficit and, and pay down this debt. It's it's just it's just really garbage. They need to decrease the spending, decrease the spending, decrease the spending. So that was uh, Ben Stein. And then the other person is Jindal, right? It's Bobby Jindal, who is the uh, governor of Louisiana, which I always thought he was kind of one of the better ones. But now, you know, after the election and they're all trying to say, you know, what's wrong with the GOP and how can we increase our base and how can we win next time? He's decided that the Republicans need to, quote, stop being the stupid party, end quote, and that they make they have to make a concerted effort to reach a broader swath of voters. So how do they do this? He says what they have to do is they have to have a so-called inclusive economic message that preempts efforts to caricature the GOP as the party of the rich. And I'm reading from a story on hotair.com. The headline is Jindal, End Dumbed Down Conservatism. And this was posted on November 13th by a writer from Hot Air called Ed Morrissey. Here's a quote from Jindal. Jindal says, quote, We've got to make sure that we are not the party of big business, big banks, big Wall Street bailouts, big corporate loopholes, big anything, end quote. And this was Jindal talking to Politico in a 45-minute telephone interview, continuing from Jindal's quote, we cannot be, we must not be, the party that simply protects the rich so they get to keep their toys, end quote. Now, this was just part of the interview. The other thing is he said that he believed that the GOP spoke down to much of their electorate um, and that... Basically, um, you know, in terms of Aiken and Murdoch's losses, do you, if you remember from my conversation last week with your own Brooke, we talked about the fact that maybe there was a silver lining in the fact that people were rejecting these ridiculous religious right positions of some of the candidates where they say, well, if you are raped, the pregnancy that results from rape is a gift from God and there shouldn't be abortion allowed, et cetera, et cetera. These guys, Aiken and Murdoch, lo you know, lose elections for things like that. We're, we're happy about that. But I said, look, you should only be happy about that to the extent that the GOP actually gets the message. And what does Jindal say? Jindal says that the answer is not to get rid of people with these positions, right, that, that they're so set on banning abortion that that's like their one litmus test issue, this is what uh, Jindal and then also uh, Morrissey agrees. He says, we need candidates who can communicate better and make sure that campaigns remain focused on the core values and specific policy agendas that will improve the lives of all voters. So it's just, you know, anti-abortion is fine, but it's just that they communicated the message the wrong way. So let me see if I can go ahead and go back to Deborah and uh, get her to comment on this. So, Deborah, what do you think of uh, Jindal? That's just pathetic. You know, I think that – I don't think there really are any Republicans that are all that good. I mean, the closest one to being decent, on at least on economic issues, was Paul Ryan. But even he kind of buckled during the debates and, and, and fell back into the kind of altruism mode of – you know, they just – these people just don't have any idea what they're doing. They have no principles at all. And and some of these post-election discussions about what the Republican Party now needs to do, I mean, it, it's pretty much the exact opposite of what they need to do. But I was just astonished by how stupid they were. Like, there were some people saying, well, in order to get the youth vote, 
you, you guess what their idea was for getting the youth vote? Not like talking about ideas and that kind of thing that the youth young people might get excited about and actually standing for something. But maybe we should try and like add something about student loans to the Republican Party platform. So like, in other words, we'll have to just start giving away more money to somehow subsidize student loans, and that'll take care of the youth vote. And this is like the le the level of ideas that they have for expanding their constituency, basically to become more like Democrats and, and more unprincipled. And uh, it's it's just insane. I, I don't understand why they don't why they're not willing to think about about it in uh, in some more fundamental terms. That's just the most pathetic thing I've ever heard. Just, oh, well, maybe we should start talking about subsidizing student loans. Um, I just don't know what to say to that. I mean, that, that that's ridiculous. They want to become the Me Too party in, in a certain way, and it, it's very disappointing. I mean, you know, one thing that I credit Limbaugh for, he's not perfect all the time, but he said, well, how can you fight Santa Claus? And in effect, they're saying, well, we want to be Santa Claus, too. And now they're also saying, well, hey, you know, we don't want to be the party that protects the rich so they can keep their toys. It's just all about toys. It's not that the rich are actually investing their money and being productive or anything. They just have a lot of money and they buy toys. And that's really all there is to the rich. And I mean, it's it's just incredibly insulting. And, and and you think, I mean, we had thought in in the past that the Republicans were the hope, but in the way that I've seen them behave and speak since the election, since they lost the election, I haven't seen any great hope in there at all. Uh, you know, I do see it in some commentators like Gutfeld, and a lot of people in the chat room also like Gutfeld, who's able to often, you know, uh, pin down exactly what the fundamental issue is in a certain context i love it but he's not a politician and you know limbaugh who's fairly good too he's not a politician so i mean you know if you compare these republican politicians today compare him and, and uh bosch actually has on his blog a post this week uh, of quotes from ronald reagan what Ronald Reagan used to say about government, the jokes he used to make about government. You know, was it the nine worst words in the English language or I'm here from the government or I'm from the government, I'm here to help or something like that, right, Debbie? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Hi, I'm from the government and I'm here to help or something like that, yeah. So, um, you know, the only one who came sort of close to making a statement like that and he was pathetic on so many other things was Perry, when Perry said that I want to make my goal to make government as the federal government as inconsequential in your life as possible, that yeah, was, that was great. Yeah, that was that was that was excellent. Now uh, Elizabeth in the chat room here is saying that she thinks she uh, takes Jindal's comments to mean that Jindal believes that the Republicans are being inconsistent in that they are protecting bailouts, corporate bailouts. But at the same time, they are not for welfare. So why not end welfare for everyone? I don't read that here when he's talking about, uh, you know, the Republicans, they, they're rich and they keep their toys. Um, I, I, I don't see. I mean, obviously, bailouts, big corporate loopholes. But, you know, corporations, I don't think corporations should even pay taxes at all. I mean, what are they what are they doing? Corporations are just ways to distribute income to individuals, right? I mean, what you know, you have income in this country being taxed multiple times. You've got it taxed at the corporate level. Then, when the corporations pay the investors and the employees, etc., then that income is taxed again. And then, of course, if the politicians fail to reach a good compromise on this, we're going to see a, a huge resurgence in the estate tax in this country. It was already taxed twice during your lifetime, but then it's going to be taxed again after you die. So I, I don't think we need all these layers of taxes either. If you think about what a corporation does, it's supposed to be productive. If it's producing wealth and value, we want it to go, go, go. We want it to be a big engine. And yeah, if you want to go ahead and have them pay a voluntary tax on the value of their contracts and say that if you pay this tax, you can have it enforced in a court of law. If not, you're on your own. I think that would be great, but you know this idea that we just tax and tax at every layer, I, I think is wrong. So that is the Republicans, the people that we were 
uh, counting on to defend us, to hold off Obama. One thing I wanted to say to you at the end here, Deborah, is that I am impressed that you, on the day after the election, you knew what the outcome of the election was when you got up and you were going to the gym at 5 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> had the energy, the enough of a positive outlook to go ahead and go to the gym at 5 in the morning the day after those election results? Well, I don't know. Before you give me too much credit, I, I got to work and I and, it, and I had to leave after a couple hours because I was too depressed to function. So uh, it, it it was it started out as a as an effort to uh, kind of get back up, but it didn't it didn't last very long, at least not for that first day. But you know, just gotta kind of keep going. Well, I, guess, I, felt little... I was gonna say, I guess you could uh, look at going to the gym as a way to sort of blow off the steam from the election a little bit as well, too. Yeah, I'm still trying to do that, <laughs> taking quite a few workouts, and, and I'm still not there yet. Well, one way that we're trying to do it here, uh, thank, thanks for your call, Deborah. And, you know, feel free to chime in on another topic later if, if you want to as well. But, uh, you know, one thing that we're trying to do here is continue to explain to conservatives out there what we think the actual problems are. Uh, you know, that, that we think that the Republicans lost not because they didn't communicate their message well enough. We think that they just really don't get what the issue is. And look how successful Reagan was, right? Reagan, who understood that government was the problem, not the solution, and he communicated that message in so many ways, a lot of humorous ways, you know, to to his audience. He did extremely well. And the Republicans are so far removed from that idea now. It's uh, it's really sad. And I think that's why they lost. And I think that's what they have to get back to. So it might be that the Tea Party is the great hope. But again, the Tea Party has a long way to go as well. If the if they say, well, the problem is big government. It's not big. It's not the size. It's, it's the function. And, and they need to remember that. Let's see what we got going here in the chat room about this. Uh, yeah, people are saying it was a terrible day. They were very depressed on the election day. Uh, even Canadians, we got Stephanie in the chat room saying that she was depressed. And, that, and why is that? Because a lot of people believe that if the United States goes, then so much else goes with it. Uh, Zach, Zach says he's moved on already. I mean, I've I've, I've moved on, but we, we, we have a long way to go, and we sort of knew that going into the election. We thought we might get lucky. We didn't. It is a very devastating thing, and there are a lot of awful things that could happen in the next few years, as I talked about with Huron last week on this podcast. But at the same time, yes, what do we do? As long as we do have a chance, we have to keep going on. So what are we doing? As this week has been going on, we have seen a lot of the fallout and the continuation of the fallout of Obama being reelected. In particular, a lot of people losing their jobs right out of the gate. Uh, Papa John's has been in the news a lot because they had announced that they're going to have to do a lot of layoffs. A lot of people, you know, going back to Papa John's saying, oh, you know, all they have to do is suck it up. They should find a way to continue to be profitable or stay in business anyway. But the one that got us all this week, and I think you've probably seen it out there, as I said, was Twinkies, Hostess, Hostess Brands, winds down their company op operations this week after they have a union. And the acronym of the union is BCTGM. And it's got to be in here somewhere. Uh, oh, yeah, here it is. It's the Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco Workers, and Grain Millers International Union. Uh, they initiated a nationwide strike on Hostess because they wanted Hostess to go ahead and meet their demands. And Hostess, you know, bargained with them and gave them a last good offer and said, this is our last best offer. This is the only, the only thing we can afford and still remain profitable. The union didn't come back to work by the designated time. And then the company said, well, look, we can't operate this way. We need to shut down, close our doors. So all of those yummy treats, and I don't know how many of you in the chat room are consumers or were consumers of Hostess pastries here, but it's Twinkies, not only Twinkies, but it's also Hostess Cupcakes, Dolly Madison, um, Ding Dongs, Ho-Hos, Snowballs, Donuts, and then it's also Wonder Bread, 
nature's pride, home pride bread, uh, and then I guess there's a bread called beefsteak, which I hadn't even heard of before, but we all know Wonder Bread. There have been so many little uh, graphics going around the web this week. I saw one that said hostess shrugged. Unfortunately, the person who put it together had used, without permission, Nick Gaetano's cover for the novel Atlas Shrugged. But it was clever. You know, they put Twinkies in the place of the limbs, you know, of, of Atlas. And the thing that he's holding up is a hostess cupcake. Very iconic. It did it did a good job. But hostess was very, very matter-of-fact in its statement that it put out there announcing that it was going to close its doors. I'm reading right now from, I think it's, it's hostessbrands.info. You can find the link to the, the article that I'm reading from or the statement that I'm reading from on my Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook. It says, Hostess Brands to wind down company after the union strike crippled the operations. The statement came out on November 16th. And it said, Hostess Brands today announced it's winding down its operations and has filed a motion with the U.S. Bankruptcy Court seeking permission to close its business. I mean, this is the thing that I found, you know, insult after injury. You are going bankrupt. You cannot operate profitably. You know you have to close down. And yet you have to go to the court and seek permission to do so. Now, I understand it's because they filed for bankruptcy and so that the bankruptcy court gets to manage the assets but if you know hostess says look the only way that we can preserve the value of some of these assets because they will they're going to try to sell off the right to make twinkies and ding-dongs and ho-hos and all those things to other companies that's part of the assets of the company so they're going to try to sell this off but they're saying the only way to preserve all these different assets of the company is to shut down at this time but nonetheless, I mean, the court might say, well, look, you know, how many jobs are going to be lost? And I don't know if you know how many jobs are being lost. <laughs> oh, look in the chat room. Zach is saying hostess. No, they're gone. Um, it's not just that the hostess is gone. And, and like I said, I think probably other companies might purchase the right to produce these things. And hopefully they'll get to do it without unions in the mix because, the union really threw a, a wrench in the works here and made it so that they could not operate profitably. Um, 18,500 people are losing their jobs because the union would not take Hostess's last good offer. Hostess said, this is our last best offer. We can't operate profitably otherwise. I guess profits don't mean anything to anybody anymore, but you know, if a business can't make a profit, it should close. Profits are the signal that these, you know, this company in, in its productive efforts, that they're actually adding value out there. So if they cannot create something that is more valuable than the inputs that they put into it, which is means makes a profit, then they shouldn't be doing it, right? Those assets and the people's efforts and everything should go to other productive endeavors. Uh, anyway, uh, from the statement here, it says, On November 12th, Hostess Brands permanently closed three plants as a result of the work stoppage that was taking place because of the union. They said on November 14th, the company announced it would be forced to liquidate if sufficient employees did not return to work by normal you know, to normal operations. They have to actually have enough of them to restore normal operations by 5 p.m. Eastern Time, November 15th. Then the company determined after that deadline had passed that an insufficient number of employees had returned, and so that's it. They announced it. Uh, the union had rejected a last, best, and final offer from Hostess Brands designed to lower the cost so that the company could attract new financing and emerge from Chapter 11. Then they received court authority on October 3rd to unilaterally impose changes to the collective bargaining agreements. Um, and then, of course, the union went ahead and went on strike. Uh, it says, Hostess Brands is unprofitable under its current cost structure, much of which is determined by union wages and pension costs. And they said the offer to the union included wage, benefit, and work rule concessions, but it also gave Hostess Brands unions a 25% ownership stake in the company. Now, in a way, you you like that, right? Because you say, well, look, they have to see the value, you know, of their work and they have to see the effect on the bottom line if they keep negotiating for wage increases 
and pension, etc. If you give somebody an ownership stake, then they want the company to remain profitable. Profit is a concern to you if you have an ownership stake. So, and, you know, in some ways that could really work well. Anyway, the union rejected it. And I actually heard, although it doesn't say it here in this statement, but I heard it on Red Eye, which I do watch frequently, one of the guests there had, had said that this union did not bring the last deal that Hostess gave to them to the full union membership for a secret ballot vote. I think they did a voice vote, some sort of informal voice vote. So because this union rejected that last offer, did this voice vote only, 18,500 people out of jobs this week. And now this is, this is, and, and I was saying this on the, the Don't Let It Go on her page, this is just the latest casualty of government interference. Now, what do you mean government interference? This is the union, right? It's because in this country, we started in 1935 when FDR signed into law the National Labor Relations Act. That act from the federal government gave employers or it imposed on employers and imposed on employers a duty to bargain with the union representatives of the employees. They have to bargain with them. The government gave the unions power with this legislation and basically tied the hands of companies. Um, one thing that was actually kind of funny is at the very end of this statement, you know, they say if you're an employee and you lost your job, you can go to this website for more information. And then it says at the very end, it says, most employees who lose their jobs should be eligible for government-provided unemployment benefits. Perfect. Perfect. Now, somebody in the in the chat room, Zach, actually is is saying, uh, hostess should say, "I'm leaving it as I found it. Take it over. It's yours, and just abandon." I mean, you know, Zach, I, I think you're right. I mean, one of the things that's such a problem here is you've got the company having to go to the court to seek permission to close its doors. So the government, who has crippled hostess by forcing it to deal with this unreasonable union who's making demands that are going to make the company unprofitable, right? They say, well, look, we can't operate this way. We have to close our doors. They have to go and seek permission to close their doors. Uh, some people, if they know the reference, there's a, a Directive 10289 reference that, that's been thrown around this week. You don't need Directive 10289, which in effect would stop companies from closing their doors when they're not profitable, you don't need that if you've got courts empowered to do basically the same thing. So this is something that I guess companies need to start thinking about because as more and more of these companies like Papa John's and others, as they're announcing all these layoffs, people in the Obama administration might get the idea of like, oh, well, we'll just tell the courts not to let them close. They just have to stay open. And I guess they're just going to start bailing everybody out or who knows what. You know, obviously, you know, the hostess, they could. They could just leave, you know, the people. They can't, like, force them to stay there. But at the same time, they could say, yeah, we can't force you to stay there, but we can make you not able to do anything else either until you come back and keep operating hostess. It is a mess, it is a big mess. And, and so what companies might want to do is they might want to avoid being in bankruptcy because if you're in bankruptcy, if you're in Chapter 11 and the court is supervising you, then you have to, it, as each step goes along the way, you have to go seek permission of the court to do things. And so eventually if you want to close your doors because there's no profitable avenue for you, you might have to get permission from a representative of government, namely a judge. So... Uh, one thing that the Teamsters said in this case is they said that this was all due to Hostess mismanaging the company. It's all Hostess's fault. Now, I don't know if anybody believes that, but um, if it was true, suppose it was true that Hostess was mis mismanaging and somebody who was a really good manager could make it profitable even while meeting all of the union members' demands, if that's true, then it should be no problem Somebody's going to come and buy the assets right away. They're going to rehire all those union workers, and they're just going to go ahead and manage it proper, you know, properly and make it profitable. But I sincerely doubt it, right? I think if Hostess could figure out a way to make a profit, they'd continue to do so. Or 
you know, maybe not. It could be that the management of hostess said, look, I've had enough of this and I don't want to deal with this anymore. So maybe they're saying, you know, maybe we are inept, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's hard to tell. But yes, if it if it is mismanagement, then the Teamsters should be perfectly happy because somebody's just going to come buy it and everything's going to be back to the, the way it was. What do we have in the chat room for this? Let's see. The person who's arguing that it's Hostess's fault argued that Hostess failed and it's the businessman's fault. Yeah, of course, it's always the businessman's fault. And this is uh, Nani in, in the chat room. Um, uh, Joe in the chat room wants me to get to the Israel-Gaza conflict. Okay, we're going to do that here in a second. Uh, I think everyone in the chat room agrees that it's sad that we're losing Hostess. Uh, you know, Hostess is something that we probably all ate too much of in, in our life. Uh, I haven't eaten any of it recently. I don't think I would want to now because I don't, you know, if you've got disgruntled union people working on the stuff, that's the the stock that's out there being distributed anymore. I don't know that I want to go grab a last one, but I think they're all sold out in the stores anyway now. It's it's a very visual, very visible, iconic uh, symbol of what government intervention does. Government forces you the company owner, to deal with these unions. It gives them power over you. And in so doing, it has the power to go ahead and make you unprofitable and eventually make you decide you might have to shut your doors. So that's what we saw this week. It didn't necessarily have anything particular to do with Obama's election, but the timing was quite interesting. So on to if people... uh, Oh, Stephanie says in Canada we still have Twinkies and Wonder Bread. Maybe what somebody in Canada has the license to distribute it and, and manufacture it. And maybe that's what it is. Who knows if it's exactly the same as the Twinkies and Wonder Bread we have here, but hopefully it is. Um, Twinkies and Wonder Bread, by the way, are both pretty bad for you. I would <laughs> avoid eating large quantities of it, but that's another story for another day. So I did want to talk about the conflict between Israel and Hamas who is in the Gaza Strip hanging out and hiding behind civilians and journalists and everything else. As is the case, always, 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 Israel has rockets fired into its borders, although the strikes that it's been having from this week, I think the rockets have come both from Gaza and also some from Egypt. But I think Hamas is behind most of of what's going on right now. the thing that has gotten me about this, so, you know, yeah, uh, the so-called Palestinians, Hamas, these terrorist groups lob the rockets into Israel. Sometimes they kill people, sometimes they don't. But, of course, you've got the people in Israel living under constant threat of bombardment by these missiles and, and rockets. They shoot them over. Israel strikes back. And then everybody has amnesia, and they seem to forget who it was that actually started the conflict in the first place. And depending on which news source you read, the case of amnesia is worse or better. The article that I happened to pull up today was particularly infuriating. The Wall Street Journal, I typically go there for, you know, check on some news stories. And it's an updated story, November 18th. So yesterday, it's Israel-Gaza strikes widen. So it's just saying, that, you know, the strikes that were going on earlier, they widen. So this is how they start. This is the first paragraph of the Wall Street Journal's coverage of what's going on right now in the conflict. It says, the Israel-Hamas conflict widened Sunday as an Israeli missile killed at least 11 civilians Israeli aircraft struck a Hamas radio headquarters on a building with international journalists inside. And, okay, so that's what's going on on the one side. And then this is how they describe what's going on 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 the Israeli side. And militant rocket fire from Gaza triggered continuous sirens throughout southern Israel, end quote. So on the one hand, they describe Israel killing people, They hit a building where there are journalists inside, you know, so they're talking about actual casualties. And then on the other side, oh, there's sirens. That's how they just, you know, they choose. And this is the way that the Wall Street Journal slants this. Uh, It said the hostilities had seemed to slow on both sides, but then fighting stepped up again. So now what is the new concern? They're raising new concerns about what? 
Israel launching a ground invasion, uh, a move, the Wall Street Journal says, that would dramatically escalate the five-day-old conflict, end quote. Yeah, so the only one who's escalating the conflict, of course, is Israel. Uh, escalation, nah, you know, on the side of the so-called Palestinians or anyone in Egypt or anyone in these terrorist groups, no. Escalation, no, no. It's uh, Only Israel is, is escalating. Um, now, Israel defense forces have attacked more than a 1,000 uh, locations of terrorists in the Gaza Strip, says Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, but he says that they are open to significantly widen the operation. And I understand that there are a number of Israeli forces uh, positioning on the border and getting ready to go in and do a ground invasion if necessary. Um, but, you know, then the story goes on to talk about, you know, there's all these Palestinian civilians who were killed, um, 71 is the death toll, more than 500 injured, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Obama, quotes the Wall Street Journal, actually spoke out on the side of Israel defending itself. This is a quote from Obama. There's no country on earth that would tolerate missiles raining down on its citizens from outside its borders. We are fully supportive of Israel's right to defend itself, end quote, Mr. Obama said. Said, Buddy said he was encouraging countries with ties to Hamas to push for de-escalation, arguing that further violence will only delay a peaceful resolution to the larger crisis, quote, well into the future. So it looks like he was saying, you know, Hamas should de-escalate. That was Obama. But from what I understand, uh, Bosch told me that part of the remarks from Obama included that Obama said that Israel should not uh, invade Gaza on the ground in order to protect itself. Uh, but there are, of course, other lawmakers, Republican, uh, in particular, Representative Pete King said that he doesn't want to be second-guessing what Israel has to do. He was on This Week with George Stephanopoulos, or as Bosch says, step on all of us. Um, this is a quote from King. He says, obviously, no one wants a ground war, but Israel has to determine what it has to do to preserve its security, end quote. And that's the whole thing, right? Israel has to do what it needs to do to preserve its security. Um, Israel apparently was able to assassinate a Hamas commander who was in charge of that group's rocket launch squad. And Israel, you know, they have so much great technology and they're able to do such amazing surgical strikes with such pre uh, precision that it encourages them to, in effect, pull back and not, uh, you know, impose on Hamas, which they should, the massive destruction that Hamas actually deserves. They'll just go in and assassinate this one guy or hit a room on a particular floor of a building. I've, I've seen this technology. It's amazing. Um, the the attack that was on the, the radio building or the television station or whatever that where all these journalists were, they talk about in the article here, they say it's the, the 11th floor offices of Hamas's Al-Quds television station in Gaza City, and supposedly it injured six journalists. But then I heard another story that journalists were not injured and that this was just another phony Palestinian Authority press release. I heard that that uh, stat is con uh, contested. The television station says Israel uh, was a site for operational communications equipment used by Hamas militants. So not only does Hamas hide behind women and children. They often will put, you know, their launch sites right next to a playground or things like that. They're hiding behind journalists. And of course they want to hide behind journalists because they know journalists will be sympathetic with them anyway. Uh, the Iron Dome uh, missile protection system in Israel has been able to fend off some of this, but it's only a fraction of the rockets that it's been able to, to hit. Um, you know, the, this, this idea that Israel should just do these little surgical strikes and that Israel should be to blame if there's a single civilian death in all of this uh, is a completely wrong standard of justice. And I've, I've talked many times on this podcast about what is the proper standard for what a country like Israel should be doing to defend itself when it is attacked from the outside. They are... Fighting. Israel is fighting a proper war of self-defense. And uh, Yaron Brook has written in the past, 
with Alex Epstein in the Objective Standard. There's a, an article that I always like to quote. It was Just War Theory versus American Self-Defense. If you Google Just War Theory versus American Self-Defense, you will find this great article from the Objective Standard. But Yaron went on and uh, co-authored a book uh, winning the Unwinnable War with Alain Journo at the Ayn Rand Institute, so you can find their writings also on just war and stuff in, in that book. But in this article at the Objective Standard, he articulates the standard for a proper war as, as, uh, as follows, that Israel, in this case, is perfectly justified in doing whatever is necessary to eliminate the threat to its citizens and do so with minimal loss of life and resources on their side, on Israel's side. It is not Israel's job to worry about what's happening to the civilians in Gaza because Hamas has initiated force against Israel. Uh, so this idea you know, of the, the world holding Israel responsible for every civilian death that they can either imagine actually take place or count that did take place. Uh, you know, if this is a proper war of self-defense, Israel should go ahead and do it. But uh, Yaron was great. If you see, I, you should follow Yaron Brook on Twitter, by the way. He actively tweets all the time. And his, you know, Twitter handle is just Yaron Brook, Y-A-R-O-N-B-R-O-O-K. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, he pointed out that here is Israel enduring rocket fire from Hamas operating out of Gaza. At the same time, Israel continues to provide power, water, other resources to Gaza. So they're literally, you know, they always talk about don't bite the hand that feeds. They're feeding the hand that bites, right? I mean, you know, Gaza is killing them, or the people in Gaza are trying to kill them, and they're going ahead and feeding them electricity, power, other resources, and they should stop doing that. So, you know, that just gives you an idea of, you know, even though Benjamin Netanyahu will talk a big game and say that he's ready to expand the operations or do whatever they have to do to preserve their security, what can we really count on them to do? It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the days to come. But uh, all, all I know is that in this country, our media is engaged in a misrepresentation campaign about the nature of these. And they just, they do. You know, whenever these conflicts happen, it's just, it's a conflict. Um, they have amnesia as to who started it, as to who always starts it. And uh, I think it's because they must buy into the idea that they think, you know, people think that Israel doesn't have a right to exist. But Israel is the one semi-free country with Western values in that region, and certainly we all side with them and not with uh, the so-called Palestinians. What do we have in the chat room here? We've got Michael, self-defense plus altruism, suicide by stupidity. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you don't even have to knock out the communications in the Hamas control you know, command center or whatever, you don't have to go in and, and, you know, waste your bombs, right? Bombs are expensive. Just shut off the power. I mean, maybe they have generators, but I doubt that they're that sophisticated to have backup generators. They're probably using the power that Israel continues to provide or sell to them to go ahead and plan their attacks on, on Israel. So, as I said, follow follow Iran because he's good. And the other thing is that Iran uh, is from Israel. And he knows people in Israel, so sometimes he can get the story on, on the ground there. One thing that I did hear from him yesterday, I spoke uh, with him a bit yesterday, is I heard that there was uh, a building of someone who they knew, that it was an actual uh, work building that was struck by one of these rockets fired over from, from either Gaza or Egypt. Luckily, nobody was hurt, um, and the building didn't collapse, but it came in, I guess, like on the fourth floor of the building and stuff. So there, this is... This strike is serious. A lot of times these strikes hit very little, but the strikes that are going on right now are hitting quite a lot. So this could indeed escalate. I think, again, the timing is convenient. It's after Obama won re-election. How much of an ally, despite this you know, uh, comment from Obama that I just read to you, how much of a real ally is Obama going to be? Um, certainly, 
Obama is not going to come in and help and intervene on Israel's behalf. And as I said, I keep losing uh, any kind of faith that Benjamin Netanyahu is going to act in any way that reflects his strongly worded statements. Uh, And that, of course, bodes poorly for what we can expect from Iran in the future as well. Uh, You know, they say, I mean, a lot of us believe that Israel is going to be the one to save us from a nuclear Iran. And we're going to look at how Israel's conducting itself with respect to Hamas and and any other terrorists in uh, in Egypt in this situation as an indication of what we can look forward to in in that. Um, <laughs> Michael in the chat room says, "I don't know, Amy, I'd be tempted to waste a few bombs just for the warm fuzzy feelings I get." I mean, here's the thing, if if you're going to use the bombs to try to for instance, destroy the morale of the enemy so that the enemy wants to surrender. Just actually destroy stuff. But, you know, what are they doing? They're using these bombs very, very uh, selectively to assassinate one guy or take out a particular communications outlet. Why not go ahead and just take out the communications by taking out the power? It's a whole lot cheaper. And, I mean, you, you could. You could destroy morale that way as well. It would be very nice. Um Deborah in the chat room says that, uh, yeah, Obama's not going to interfere. He says he isn't. His re-election is a green light for the Muslims to wage war against Israel. Yeah, and the article here talks about the fact that Egypt is under increasing pressure to move from its 30-year role as the one that was brokering the so-called peace between, again, the so-called Palestinians and Israel, uh, you know, they have been the one that were, you know, trying to enforce this peace treaty for all these years. And now, of course, the Egypt is headed by the Muslim Brotherhood and Egypt's, uh, uh, the head of Egypt is going to be coming to visit Gaza pretty soon as well. Egypt is under pressure to take a militant stand against Israel. And we might see that happening in, in the next days as well. So it's, it's very sad. Um, I am just flummox that I'm having only a few minutes left here. But let me go ahead and look at this latest story. I want to talk to you just a little bit about the testimony issue. Uh, as you all know, David Petraeus, who I'm not a big fan of anyway, he was one of our generals. He, I guess he was in command in Iraq and elsewhere. He was in command under Bush and also under Obama. He had to resign because of a, a sex scandal. Apparently he was having an affair with his biographer, a lot of people have been talking about that. But then the big question was, well, did he resign in order to avoid going before Congress and testifying about the horrible atrocities, the terrorist attacks that went on in Benghazi on the 11th anniversary of 9-11 in Libya? Um, it turns out Petraeus did go ahead and go and testify. And curiously, if you believe the you know, reporting from Representative Peter King, who I guess is just going out and talking in the talk shows about everything this week. Uh, Peter King basically describes Petraeus's testimony as changing from earlier testimony that he had been given before Congress. Uh, earlier, you know, very shortly after the September 11th attacks, Petraeus went to Congress and basically told them the standard intelligence agency talking points that, of course, said that the reason there was an attack on, um, you know, our embassy there and everything was that because uh, this film, you know, that somebody wrote, I mean, somebody made a film, the Nakul Nakula guy, he made the film about Muhammad. And so then there was an outrage and a protest and growing out of this initially peaceful protest was this attack on our uh, consulate. And that and, but it turns out maybe he changed his story. Is there a relationship between the two? The standard line out there has been that because now Petraeus has lost his job, he's got nothing to lose, and he's willing to say that the story was changed to make it politically correct, to say that it was a film and not a terrorist organization. Um, I, I tend to believe that there's something there, but there has been no uh, actual smoking gun on this. I think This will be a story that we keep following over the weeks to come. Uh, One story I want you to go look at about Petraeus, because it's not to be missed. It's written by Diana West, townhall.com, November 15, 2012, talks about Petraeus, and he betrayed us long ago, and talks about his 
uh, policy of counterinsurgency, counterinsurgency doctrine, and his idea of population protection, where he wants to protect the civilian population of the enemy country, not our own forces. It's really uh, very disgusting, I guess would be the word. Uh, go go check it out for yourself. Uh, everybody, I thank you for joining me this week. If you enjoy this podcast, please go ahead and spread the word to you. Check out the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook. During the week, we post there and, and uh, discuss. And do join me next week. I'm hoping that Bosch Faustin will be back here too. Good night.